The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Uh, so today it's it's very nice that everybody's here. It's good to see everybody coming to the BSV and practicing. And thank you to everybody that's here that's working behind the scenes, doing uh, doing all the things that need to be done in, in the video, in the kitchen, all these kinds of things, get, putting everything together. It's really nice to see how harmonious uh, the whole process is. And so what I thought I'd talk about today is um, how we we practice we how we actually practice when we are busy or when we're we have a lot going on because the reason I thought I'd talk about I talk about this is because you know over the last week I've had a few things on and moving around and doing this and doing that and you know I didn't have as much time myself personally to do as much formal practice as I usually like to do, and and for me, being busy, I'm a monk. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not really that busy. I don't have that many responsibilities. But you know, things change in life, and you know, I I came down here and I got here, and the AGM was on, and so many people on the committee, and there's so much happening, so much work going on, so much preparation that has to go into this, and it just made me reflect over the last few days. I was like, well, if you don't have as much time for formal practice how do you practice when you're running up against these different situations in the world how do you how do you keep your mindfulness firm when you're having to deal with so many different things and so many different problems and so one thing that i like to do when i when i don't when i don't have as much time to do formal practice is to look and keep my mindfulness on my own experience and the sensory input that's coming in to me because whatever we do in life, how we move throughout the world, the one thing that we do have is our experience. And what our experience is made up of is the all the sensory input that's coming in, sound, sights that are coming in, sounds that are coming in, smells, all these different inputs actually coming in. So our, our whole experience, our whole life is made up of sensory input. So we can use this to as a means to practice and to keep our mindfulness in the present moment and use it as a way to strengthen our wisdom as well. But there's a problem with that. There's so much going on. You're just bombarded by, you know, bombarded by algorithms trying to get your attention you're bombarded with advertising you're bombarded with uh you know delicious foods great all these things uh you know bombarded with cars and things moving around you so how do you actually use your sensory experience to practice the dhamma when it seems it can seem so overwhelming and so constant and so the way that you that you can do this is by is by keeping your attention at the sen at the sense what we call in Buddhism we call the sensory doors so the eye the ear the nose the tongue the body and the mind and keeping your keeping your awareness here and just noticing what's what's happening but maybe before I launch launch into that um, what do I actually mean because I'll be using a few terms in this of I'll be calling things like uh, sensory objects, uh, uh, sensory input. What do I mean when I talk about this? So 
there's there's a the there's the modern understanding of what what happens when we experience sensory sensory inputs things that come in through the senses and there's there's also the buddhist there's the buddhist understanding of sensory input and oh there's there's not really many differences between them the only the main difference is that uh in modern understanding we have five five senses uh the uh vision uh vision hearing uh, smell taste and touch we have these five big ones but in buddhism we have the six which is we had the we had the mind onto that so in our modern understanding we have these five big ones and this is the thing that these are the things that really are important to us and salient and that are crashing into us at, at any one point but we also have these these other processes that are going on in the background as well that we're not really as uh, perceptive of but they're helping the our body and the organism move through space and to survive they're things like our our sense of our sense of balance our our sense of pain our sense of vibration our sense of uh, uh sense of temperature all these different kinds of things they're all they're all working under the surface along with the big the big five and what's happening at that point in time is everything's coming in and we're trying to interpret all these different sensations in different ways and things that are going on externally that we see and hear and all this but then there's other things internally and from a very you know mechanical mechanical standpoint this is this is physically what's happening physically what's happening out there in the world with the body with the body that's interacting in the world but the way that we're perceiving the senses this is very very different there's something different happening there um and from the modern understanding of the way that we perceive the senses is is our brains interpreting all this input that's coming in that's that's constantly coming in and what's actually happening at that point is the brain is in just interpreting all these signals it's and it's not that they're exactly this way so it's not like the brain sees sights then it's not that the brain see, hears sounds it's just a stream of electrical activity that the brain's trying to interpret and build a it's basically build its best guess about what's happening outside in the world so it's building up a model it's building up a representation of that so a lot of the times most of us think okay well i see this for me i see this red cushion and everybody else looks at the red cushion it's like okay we all think that we're experiencing this red cushion in exactly the same way but perception it's a funny thing it's an individual thing because we're continually constructing constructing the world our my experience of that red cushion is very very different to everybody else's we might we might think that it's exactly the same but it's actually there's some differences there and this is dependent on a lot of things dependent on the way that we're interpreting the world but then also different ways that our sensory modalities blend together so we have things like uh say for example you have some people that they might see the uh they might see uh what we consider to be a color but they might hear it as a sound and there's something called synesthesia where the the senses blend together and you have a different kind of sensory experience so what we're perceiving in the world it's we might think that this is the most 
true interpretation of reality. But, re but what I, is actually happening is the brain's constructing this and it's maybe not the exact interpretation of reality that we think it is. And so, so you have that and that's, that's all well and good. It's cool to know these things, but how does that actually help you with your practice? What's that got to do with anything really? So this is where the Buddhist understanding of the, uh, from, of sensory inputs comes into play. And the Buddha outlined that we have the, uh, he, he went into great detail about the senses and how we, and how we actually interact with them. And the Buddha said that we have, uh, external sense bases and internal ones. So we have, say, for example, we have objects out there in the world or we have sounds. So we have the external parts and the internal parts. And so we have the, for that we have, say, for example, the eye and the forms that are in the world, the ear and sounds, the nose and smells, the tongue and tastes, and the body and the, the tactile sensations of feeling. But again, the Buddha in the Buddhist conceptualization of the, the sense processes, he said that we have the mind as well, the mind and the mind objects. And what the mind's doing is, is it's becoming aware of things like thoughts. It's becoming aware of things like, uh, mental, all the different mental states that we're having. So the Buddha had a, and, and, and any kind of Indian epistemologies about, about how the senses are is they have the, the six sense bases, but also, what the Buddha did on top of that is outline a process of what's happening when we're experiencing these things. And what the Buddha said about the six uh, sense objects and six sense bases is that whenever there's a, let's just use the eye, the eye's the, the easy one to eye envision, it's the most easy one to explain. Say, for example, when the eye, the eye sees a form out there in the world that because there's contact between the two, the eye sees a form, there's a consciousness arises, what we call eye consciousness. And there's a, you have a conscious perception of that. And due to that conscious perception and the contact between the two, then you have some kind of feeling arise. So you have either a, a pleasurable feeling, or you have a painful feeling, or you have a pleasant or unpleasant, or good or a bad feeling, dependent on those processes you have this feeling and it also, also it can be neutral as well you just don't really feel anything when you see these things but dependent on the feeling you have a craving for that you see something you like and oh, i like this thing i want more. i want to look at more of it or i hear this nice sound i want more of it or i hear this somebody says something bad to me i don't want to hear that that's, that's terrible so we have a craving for this feeling that we have and so you know, the Buddha outlined that process, but yeah, you know, so why is that process important? Well, the Buddha stated that this is the process that it's just an automatic process that keeps happening. And this is what builds up our sense of identity. This is what builds up our sense of self. This is what builds up this thing that is, we have this feeling that this is me and this is me experiencing the world and, and I like these things in the world or I don't like these things in the world. I, I, this is what builds up this, this identity. And the Buddha was, he gave a very, very powerful teaching about this and, and sort of warned of, warned of the dangers of this. There's a, there's a, uh, Buddhist sermon called, uh, he called it the, it's called the fire sermon, the Adita, uh, 
sorry, I can't remember the Pali name for it. Anatalakana, no. Uh, sorry, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's a good say. It would, in English, it's called the fire salmon. I can't remember it. But um, uh, so the way it goes, the Buddha, just not long after the Buddha became enlightened, he was traveling through India and he met a, a whole group of uh, fire worshippers, ascetics that would worship fire. And he was... He, he stayed with the fire worshippers for a while because he was only he was only newly enlightened, so he didn't have a following of monks at that point in time. He was just traveling around teaching. And these fire fire worshippers were very well known, very well respected. They had a very, very big following. And the Buddha stayed just just outside uh, where the fire worshippers were. And they were a bit the fire worshippers were a bit hesitant about the Buddha. They they thought, oh, well, this looks like somebody who's very wise, but we don't really know what he teaches. So eventually, they came around uh, and asked the Buddha, asked the Buddha, could he give some teachings? And the Buddha, being very very skillful, saw that they were fire worshippers. So he he framed this teaching in uh, using metaphors that they could actually understand. And he said that you know. He started off by saying, yeah, everything is burning. The world is aflame. And what's it aflame with? It's aflame with forms. It's aflame with the eye. It's aflame with consciousness. It's aflame with contact. It's aflame with feeling. And what is it? And what is this that's burning? What is this that's aflame? It's greed, hatred, and desire because of these things. And... Because of our greed, hatred, and desire of this, where it's like we're burning, we're on fire, and we're burning with old age, sickness, death, suffering, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. So the Buddha outlined the dangers of, of actually attaching to these senses. So, so that's, you know, that, you know, that, that can maybe seem a little bit heavy at times, the kind of thing. Oh, everything's burning. Oh, yeah. The whole world's burning. I was just looking at a nice flower. I thought this was okay. It's, it's all burning. Why is it all burning? It's, 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 you know, it's, it's not, it's not, in a way, it's not like that. The, the problem, the, the reason the Buddha said that something like this was, was dangerous because, is because of that process, that process of identification of I like this thing or I don't like this thing. It's not that these things in themselves are inherently bad or inherently good or anything like that. It's just our our relationship to it and our and our and our kinds of attachment to these things. And this is what continually pulls us through the world in in a sleepwalking manner. And we get all these senses coming in, and we're just getting pulled around by everything, and we're just we're not recollecting and we're not you know being aware of these things. So. So that's that's the real problem there. It's not the problem that we have sensory input. The problem is is we're uh, craving for it and we're attaching to it. And so, what do we you know what do we do about this? What do I what do I do when what do I do when somebody you know criticizes me for something that I didn't do and I hear someone go oh, you, you did this job terrible or you know how what do you actually do there? Uh, how do you deal, how do you actually practice with these, with the senses? And so the Buddha, uh, recommended in another very, very famous sutta in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness where he talked about the, uh, uh, how we, how we keep our mindfulness in the present moment. He had a section where he talked about the, how we use the, he called it the sixth sense basis, how we use this to practice. 
he recommended that we have to notice this process, notice this process that's actually happening at any one time. So, for example, again, the eye seeing form with just with vision. So, the eye seeing forms, and that there is uh, there's a eye consciousness arising that's arising because of contact between the two, and that we're having some kind of feeling, a, a pleasurable, painful, or neither pleasant nor nor uh, painful feeling arising because of, because of it, and that there's a craving there, and because of this dependent process that we're attaching to this. And the Buddha recommended in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness Sutta is to notice the impermanence of this. Any sound or any sight that comes in, it's just something that comes and goes and comes and goes. And the more we can see something like this as impermanent, the less we'll attach to it, the less we'll become deluded by it, we, and we won't cling to it anymore. He also recommended in in another sutta about these. Uh, it's 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 called the Six Sextets Sutta, um, Chattaka Sutta, I think. And um, he recommended that we should recollect again on this on this process and looking at it and, and investigating. Well, say for example, this sound that I'm hearing, you know, is this sound me, or this person that's hearing? Am I the one hearing? Uh, constantly recollecting on this, on this craving I'm having, this feeling I'm having, is this me, is this mine, is this myself? And we can see when we look at this process that, that there is there is no owner to that. This is just a process that's happening. This is just something that's randomly happening, causes and conditions coming together, and we're having this kind of experience. So so that's, once again, you know, that's all that's all good, but like, how do you do that? That's that's not so easy. You again, you're bombarded by so many different things at so many different times. So how do you actually practice with something like this? So while it's 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 really hard to separate all this out because it is so it can be like a tidal wave of, of overwhelming sensory input. One good thing that I like to practice with when I'm sort of moving through the world and moving through different situations and having to deal with things is just putting my attention just on one, just on one of the what we call the sense doors. And one thing I found that myself and, I, and a lot of people have found quite quite helpful and quite easy is, is paying attention to sounds. You can, whatever you're doing, moving throughout the world you just put your awareness and your mindfulness on on the ear and on sounds that are coming in contact with the ear and you can start to notice this process it's like oh, well there's 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 a vibration of air and it's it's hitting hitting this place here that's my ear and uh, i'm becoming aware of it there's a consciousness of it because there's because my ears come in contact with this with this movement of with this uh, with this vibration and this this vibration, whatever it is, I you know it's a bird. I I, I like this thing. Oh, this is great. And you know, birds are birds are awesome. But then a car alarm goes off. Oh, I don't like that so much. It's you can notice the feeling that arises because of that. Notice the feeling that arises because of that sound. And again, once you notice, I, car alarms are annoying. It's it's you can start to notice. You start to crave for that or attach to it. You crave. You want it a different way. I want the car alarm to stop. I want the birds to keep singing or whatever it is. So keep your awareness just on one 
just on one aspect, the, say for example the ear, and just notice that this is an impersonal process. You, you can't choose what you hear. You're sitting here listening to me now. You can't choose the next thing that comes out of my mouth. Like you might, you might want to, but you, you just can't. You, you sit here and you hear things. You, you hear cars going by. You can't choose what you're actually hearing. This is just an, a very impersonal process. So you can just do that as you move throughout the world. Keep your, keep your awareness just with one, one of the, one of the sense doors and just see this process is happening. And then when you become a little bit more, uh, uh, proficient at that then you can do other ones you can maybe use your use your vision or or smells and all these kinds of things or even just the the feelings of the of the body moving through space and what's happening you just you find one that you you find it easy to keep your attention on at most times and just watch this process that's happening so with that that that's probably all I can really say on it, so just to maybe summarize, is that, that we really, we, we don't have much time to do practice as compared with moving through the rest of the world. We might only get half an hour or something to actually sit and meditate and do some kind of practice, but we have the rest of the day to interact with the world. And so we shouldn't be wasting this time uh, and just being pulled around by the world. We should be using this as a time to practice meditation and mindfulness and, and using this to practice the Dhamma. And our experience of the world is what we always have with us. And really, this is the only thing that we always have with us. And that's made up of the, the, the sensory inputs that we're, we're experiencing. And if you can notice, you can notice this process that the Buddha was talking about, how that's, how that's, occurring and unfolding and you can recollect on it that this this isn't me this isn't mine this isn't myself if you can do this more and more regularly you can start to see through the tricks you can start to see the tricks of the senses as i said with the modern understanding you know we we think we experience reality in a particular kind of way but it's just this construct you start to see through all these tricks of the world you're not and you're not getting pulled along by it so if we continue to practice in this way, then our, then our Dharma practice can continue to, to flourish and thrive, even though we may not be doing as much physical meditation, sitting with our eyes closed and, and crossing our legs for a period of time. So I encourage you to hopefully do this as a practice, use this, take these tools and use them. Hopefully uh, what I've said here this morning, maybe it can be of benefit to you in some way. Maybe you can use it in some way. If you can, that's that's really good. I'm really happy with that. Um, if you can use some of these teachings and gain more clarity, gain more understanding in your life, I'm I'm really happy about that. It's, it's something um, I can contribute back to the world, so I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy with everyone that's come here today to listen to the Dhamma. It's quite encouraging to see all you here. And so if, if there is anything that you didn't get of what I said or you don't agree with, that's, you know, it's fine. We can maybe, maybe we can open the floor and have a discussion about it now. If you want to challenge me on things, it's fine. It's cool. No, that's wrong. That's, that's, there's so many things I forget. <laughs> I'm more than happy to take questions from people here and also I think online as well. So.
thank you, Arjan. Ah, no um, so, a question on um, what you mentioned about uh, you know clinging and craving. Mm. Um, one of the difficulties I'm having personally in my practice at the moment is you know wanting to aspire towards these things like uh, jhana or mm. you know those uh, meditative mm. absorptions, but mm. you know also you know, listening to the advice of people like Arjun Brahm or Brahmali mm. that you know, wanting jhana is kind of like an antecedent to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm wondering how to approach a practice where you, you kind of have these aspirations or goals, I suppose, mm. but, you know, the wanting of those goals is counterproductive. Like, mm. how do I approach that? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's 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 so it's so counterintuitive that okay, I want to develop wholesome states in the mind, so you have you have to have that desire to do it in some kind of way. But that desire actually is the thing that really gets in the way the most because you sit there, you sit and it's like, okay, I'm gonna yeah, I want some jhana, this and jhana would be awesome, you know, like a, and you spend most of your time thinking about uh, wanting jhana or you spend most of your time thinking about why aren't I in jhana I'm doing this practice for so long so it's 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 so it's so counterintuitive and so the the thing that I usually recommend is like what you really have to think about is not the results but think about the causes that you're putting in if you you know want these very calm mind states there's no use thinking about the results all the time. What you have to think about is the causes. How, what am I doing to, uh, what am I doing? What kind of causes am I doing to get these results? And you focus on the causes and what will be the causes of something like that is to, you know, do, do as much meditation as possible. And while you're doing said meditation is to watch your breath. That's, that's the cause. That's what you have to focus on. And, you have to try to let go of the results, what you'll get out of this thing. Because you know, it's just natural for us. We, we want to, we do something, we invest in something, we want to get something out of it. It's just, it's a total natural inclination. But what you have to do is not worry about the results so much. Just worry about the causes, putting in the right kinds of causes for these things. And then, you know, eventually the results will come if you're putting in the right kinds of causes so basically like allowing the results to unfold naturally yeah, yeah yeah and obviously you you do have to have uh in some some respects you do have to have that wholesome desire to actually practice you know you have to go well i could like i could i could sit on the couch and eat like chips or i could meditate like so you do have to have that wholesome desire there so you have to you do have to balance that as well and know some of these things that are leading you in uh, the actions that you're performing are leading you in the right direction with that. But really to get these, get these kinds of uh, uh, peaceful states, you just have to focus on the causes because it's, you, can, you can cause yourself a lot of suffering if, you, if you're continually wanting your mind to be a way that it isn't. That's, it can be terrible. It's, it's, I, you know, I know myself in my first few years as a monk, I, I, you know, I'd gone to Thailand, gave it all up. It's, you know, thrown all my money away, put all these, put these clothes on and gone to another country and, and I've given everything away. It's like, 
and I'm going to be enlightened. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in a cave. I'll never ever talk to anybody again. I'll be in the bliss of jhana, and birds will be landing on my shoulders, and this will be awesome. And yeah, it wasn't like that. It was, <laughs> I was sitting, and so why am I still suffering so much? Why? <laughs> so because and I was pushing against it so hard pushing against my wanting my mind to be a different way than what it actually was. I was pushing so hard against the world being a, a, a way that uh, pushing so hard against the world being a way that I didn't want it to be. And that's actually, that was just making me suffer a lot more. And it was through learning to, instead of, instead of trying to control everything, it's just learning to let, let it go putting in the right kinds of causes and then eventually the right results come. But if, if you're worried about the results and worried about why my mind is in a particular kind of way, you just, you're going to cause yourself more and more suffering. And, um, you can, you can, you know, a lot of people out in the world, they're suffering a lot, but you can, you can suffer quite a lot if you just like sit in an empty room and you got nothing to worry about. People are bringing you food and, you can suffer quite a lot because you want things to be a different way. So whatever situation you're in, it doesn't really matter. What does matter is the way that you're relating to that situation and the kinds of causes that you're putting in. So Thank you so does that much. answer the question? Yeah, very much so. Thank cool. you. Could I get a drink of water? Can I just get a drink of water? Yes. Questions? Yeah. That extension to that uh, question, hmm. uh, there was a sutta, there was a dialogue between Venerable Anuruddha and Venerable Sariputta. Hmm. So one day, Venerable Anuruddha approaches Venerable Sariputta and says, uh, I am such and such, I have been such a good practitioner, I have done hmm. this, I can do this, hmm. but I have not achieved Dibbana, Sajjata hmm. uh, state. Hmm. So Venerable Sariputta says that you think of your achievements, the things that you can do, mm. that's conceit in you. Mm. That when you are worried that you haven't achieved what you want to achieve, there's remorse in you. So he says, let go of both these things. Mm. Just reflect on the natural state. Mm. So coming to that question of desire, mm. just underlying the desire, mm. just underlying that, then another thought comes, have I achieved it, mm. conceit? Mm. I, I have achieved it. Mm. Something. I have not achieved it. Remorse. Mm. So you have to let go that I have got this, I haven't got this. Yep. So when you get rid of that, mm. that is a thing that obstructs yep. the achievement. Yeah. Rather than the desire itself. Rather than the yeah. rather than the desire itself, the thought that comes just underneath that. Yeah. I have achieved it, I have not achieved it. Mm, mm, mm. That is a thing that obstructs this mm, progress. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. You know, Ajahn, Ajahn Chah actually would, would, uh, comment on something, something, uh, similar to that. Um, obviously a lot of people would come to, to see Ajahn Chah and ask, Oh, are you enlightened? Or, you know, have you, have you seen the Dharma? And maybe other people would come to him and say to him, Oh, I, my meditation, it's like this. I've, you know, I, I must be, I must be, I must be enlightened. I must be, I must be at the first stage of enlightenment or the second stage of enlightenment. And Ajahn, Ajahn Chah would always, would always say to them, you know, what you think you are or what you don't think you are, this isn't sure. 
you know, whether, whether he's in, whether Ajahn Chah himself is enlightened or he's not enlightened, this isn't sure. And so he, and he said, if, uh, he basically said, he's like, anybody that thinks that they're, you know, anybody that thinks that they're, uh, enlightened in some way, that that's the most unsure thing. You, you, you don't, you don't know at all. So it's, it's, identifying with these things and making it out to be something you know we can't be sure that that's actually the way it is you know we uh, a lot of us our, our practice isn't quite that good yet and we don't we don't really know if the kind of with the states that we're having whether that's an actual actual accurate representation of the state that you're having it was like i said before about how we we interpret the world and the way we interpret the world is, is shaped by our own by our own experience and environment and all these kinds of things. So you can't be sure that what your experience is is, is exactly that. So this is a good recollection that Ajahn Chah would talk about is whatever you experience, it's not sure. Whatever you, okay, I've sitting here, my mind's calm, it's peaceful. Oh, I must be, I must be getting jhana. This is, okay, cut this down. Like it's, it's not sure. It's not sure. Or I'm sitting here, my mind's all over the place, I'm angry, and uh, this person said this, and it's bad, blah, blah, blah. it's not sure. Uh, I'm, or you think, uh, oh, I'm, I, I'm so worried about something, or I'm this kind of person, or, I, or I'm that kind of person, that these other people will perceive me in this way. It's not sure. It's always not sure. So if you can use that as a reflection all the time, then moving through the world and moving through these different states, it becomes a lot easier. And you don't become attached as much to, I'm somebody that's a sotapanna, sakadagami, anagami, arahat, or anything like that, or whether I'm enlightened or I'm, or I'm not. You don't attach to these things because you just know that it's, that it's all uncertain, that it's all unsure, that it's not sure. It's a quite a, quite a very, it's a simple, but a very, very powerful teaching to have. I th I thought I thought I had samadhi so many times and then it's it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Thought yeah I've I've worked this practice thing out I've I've nailed it no no you know no sliding back for me and then sure enough next week it's back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, Arjan, oh, thank you, Arjan. Arjan Bramali, who's been here mm. conducting the retreat, mm. um, makes a lot for us of our daily practice of kindness. Mm. You're talking about causes and conditions mm. and um, the importance of that mm. or those mm. and possibly too uh, for one of us who's come as a Westerner, my knowledge of the suttas isn't as good as I'd like, mm. that these kinds of, of causes and conditions are very important. Mm. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah. And that's, again, again, that's that's about focusing on the right kinds of causes as well and putting in the right kinds of causes. Um, you can, you know, we can, again, back to Anzac Day, we, all of us, especially as a Buddhist, we want the world to be at peace. We want, you know, we don't want any wars. We don't want people, you know, killing and maiming and bombing each other. But we have to put in the right causes for that, you know, and that, and we can then we can just we can we can let that go and go. Well, it's up to the government. 
That's uh, that's, a, that's a government. That's the government of Australia's problem. That's the go- that's the American government's problem. This is this is uh, this is this is Saudi Arabia's problem. That's not focusing on the right kinds of causes. You have to focus on the causes in your own life of what you're doing with something like this. You have to be putting in the causes to be kind to other people. You have to be focusing on these causes to develop these kinds of mind states, trying to, trying to recollect and, and reflect and spread metta as much as you, metta and kindness as much as you can. You're, you're the cause of all this. You know, it's, it's not this, this, this homogenous, you know, thing that's outside ourselves. You're the thing that's moving throughout the world and you're the thing that has to be developing kindness and compassion towards others. And it starts very simply. It just starts with kindness towards yourself, having kindness and forgiving yourself and then forgiving the other people around you, people in your family, maybe somebody that's wronged you, uh, or being grateful and, and, and being grateful for people that have helped you. And moving that out and moving and have that, having that effect on the world. These are, these are the kinds of things that you, that you can do to bring about peace in the world. You can't just go, I, if, if America wasn't so stupid, they wouldn't go to war and, you know, I've got nothing. No, it's, you can't, you can't look at it in that way. It's like, okay, well, what can I do? What can I do to foster peace in the world? What can I do to foster happiness in the world? How can I, how can I, how can my actions, how can my speech, how can my thoughts, how can that actually help the world? And because this is the thing that you do have some agency over, you know, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to be able to, you know, I, I'd love to be able to tell North Korea that like they shouldn't be doing that to their population, but I, I can't. But what I can do is move throughout the world and be kind to other people. Um, and so, that really is the thing, focusing on the causes of kindness to others. It, it's not, it's not something that we should be externalizing and, and wishing that everybody else would do. It's actually something that we should be doing ourselves. And if you can do it yourself, uh, you're going to bump into many other people in the world. Some people are very receptive of that. This person showed me kindness. So I'll be kind back to them or I'll be kind to the next person. And that can, can, can radiate out through society. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to have this intention to be kind and metta and all these kinds of things and be peaceful and happy with everyone. And then somebody's going to not accept it. They, <laughs> you're, you're just, you're brainwashed. You're this, you're that. And they'll, or they'll push back against you. And even though you are kind to them, they won't accept that. And, you know, that's, you know, you, you just have to accept that, that, okay, that's, that's fine. This person is suffering at that point in time. This person is, you know, because they can't receive kindness, they must be going through some great suffering. So you just have to be kind and you have to be compassionate and keep trying to do it with them. But there's overall, you know, there'll be more people that are receptive of your kindness and those that, that, that just go, well, yeah, I, I don't want your kindness. You, you, you might you might get one out of a hundred like that, but that shouldn't be a deterrent. You know, you should be trying to actually uh, put in as many good causes as you can with as many different kinds of people as you can, and then you know eventually that's going to ripple out further and further into society. Um, and so, yeah, it, it it starts with yourself. So even if you do, it, you know, 
even if somebody throws an egg at you, it's it's fine. You can clean the egg off, get it off. It's fine. It's not a big deal. So most of us, when we are kind to someone and they they don't uh, reciprocate that, then we become discouraged as, oh, I don't want to be kind or I'm, I'm worried about being kind to people. But the payoff for being kind and compassionate, this is much, much more than, than actually just, you know, not doing it. You know, the, and the consequences, the consequences of not doing it are, are major. You know, as I said, we want peace. We want, we want peace and no war in the world. The, that's the consequences of people not being kind and compassionate to each other. That's the consequences of each individual coming together and not being kind and compassionate to each other. That's the consequences of people looking out at somebody else and going, well, you're the enemy. That's the consequences of you not being kind and compassionate. So you have to take that. You have to take on that responsibility of changing the world in that way by, by changing your own action and changing your own causes and changing how you're interacting with other people. Yeah. Um, thank you, Ajahn. Um, I work in the school environment. Mm. I often have uh, students uh, witness how they have been bullied, mm. ridiculed mm. in the um, playground. Mm. And as a teacher, what kind of simple words can I, from Buddhist point of view, mm. to tell year seven, year 10 students mm. uh, how they can think um, so they can keep um Still kind mm. and being another part is not to identify with the comments they've received. Yeah, being ridiculed. Mm-hmm. So you mean? So do you mean the bullier or the bullyee? The the one who are being bullied, victimized. Right. Yeah. Say if they say, "Well, you you are ugly." Yeah. So how can they this year seven kids? Think that they are not ugly. Yeah, not identify from that comment. Yeah, a simple yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. yeah they are so vulnerable, and mm. they just take taking every comments from mm-hmm. their peers. Mm-hmm. So, from Buddhist point of view, how do you tell them to shift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank it's you. it's so it's it's such a complex problem. Um, it's you know there's there's so many different things of a way. Uh, Things that the, the kids are getting bullied about, things of, about the way that the, the kids are kind of reacting, the different kinds of uh, the, 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 the social structures that, that are around them. So it is, it is really complex. So there's there's unfortunately there's unfortunately no like one answer to how to uh, make these kids feel better about themselves if they've been bullied. But what you what you can do from this this Buddhist perspective is. Uh, is to try to get them to understand that 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 everything that they experience is impermanent. You know, you know words are impermanent, actions are impermanent. These things come and go. You know, it's if the it was like I was saying before with something like sound. It's just sound. It's it's something that comes and then it goes. So if they can, if they can try to see the impermanence of this, and, and and it might be very very hard for them, but think it's like, well, maybe you know, in a, in a year or two years, three years, four years, this will all be over, and this will all be over, and you just try to keep your mind in this in this point of 
things always change. Everything changes. Everything continually changes. And this person that's, that's bullying you, you know, they, they might, it might seem like they have a lot of power now, or there's all these other people that are caving in on you. They might seem like they have a lot of power over you now, but maybe that's not, that's not always going to be like that. Things are going to change. And that they just have to be patient. You know, un- unfortunately, unfortunately, you can't control the world. Uh, you just have to be patient with what's happening. And if they can be patient with it and not, not react to it so much. And it's, it's, that's very hard to say, you know, it's, it's hard to say don't react to something is when you just, you just naturally do. If you're in year seven to year 10, you're still not emotionally developed enough to actually have or not, you know, some are obviously some are emotionally developed enough to to deal with these kinds of things, but it's it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. You haven't had as much experience with people doing these things to you. So to just say, uh, just accept it. Just, you just have to accept it. That's that's a bit too simple, and that's that's also a little bit uh, potentially you know, not going to go down so well. But if you can get them to try to reflect and recollect that this is not something. It's not always going to be like this. It'll change. It will change. Um, it has to change. It won't always be like this. You won't always feel bad. You know, at some point, you're going to change. You're going to be happy again. Um, these things that these people say, it might not. It's likely not even the truth. You know, it's going to change. They're going to be seen. They'll be found out for, you know, spreading rumors and all these kinds of things. Everything, everything will change. Everything will just continue to change. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully that can be a good reflection. But there's, there's so many other things that you can do as well. But that's just a, that's sort of the, the generalized uh, advice, uh, advice I'd give for something like that. Yep. Thank you, Acha. No, no problem. Yeah. Hi, Ajahn. Um, there are three questions. Mm. Uh, the first question is, is the idea that the ego mind does not have intelligence and that it is simply a conditioned reflex? That it doesn't have intelligence. Could you just repeat it again for me, please? Yep. Uh, is the idea that the ego mind does not have intelligence mm. and that it is simply a conditioned reflex. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I think I understand that. So your know, intelligence is something that's contingent on many other factors as well. It's, it's, uh, it's contingent on your social upbringing, your genetics, all these different kinds of things. So you as a person don't control how intelligent you are you know you can work on these things you can you can you know you can you know if you're trying to study or something like that you can work hard on it but you 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 do you have a you do have a parameter on how intelligent you can actually be and this is something that is caused by all these different all these different factors that have that have come up in the world so how intelligent you are it's not something that you are or you control it is something that is casually dependent on all these other factors. So, uh, is, is intelligence just part of that, a, a casually dependent factor? Yeah, yeah, it is as well. And it's not really something that you can, 
that you know while i you know while i'd like to be like i'd i'd love to have an iq of like 180 i i don't like I, I don't have an iq that high um i i'd love to i'd love to understand like astrophysics in a better in a better way i i just don't i can't i've tried like it's it's just not working <laughs> so there's there are there are limits on your intelligence which are which are determined by how you're actually made up as well but that's not to say that you just become defeated and okay well i'm this is how smart i am and i don't care yeah you keep learning and keep trying to put in the again put in the good causes if you want more intelligent put in the good causes to become more intelligent you know you can spend more of your time reading and things like that and you can still do those things so yeah hopefully hopefully i understood the question and hopefully that answers the question to some to some extent yeah. Hey, do you want to go to the microphone so that people can hear? Do you want to go up to the mic? So I think the question is the the the, the primary uh, beginning first word is conceit. It mm. sounds like the way I would interpret the question is: is conceit has its own intelligence, or is this a reflection of some other causes of bringing of value? So, in other words, is conceit something that has its own? intelligence to decide things or is it a reflection of your own values and refl and 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 and, 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 and values and something like that mm. i i'd say there's a there's a there's a confluence of both those things you know you're you're putting in uh the the kinds of conceit or the ego that you actually have that's one that's bounded up by your own that's bounded up by your own karma and so you're you're it's it's automatically being influenced by that, but then your reaction to that as well, the karma that you're making on top of that, that's moving it and shaping it in a particular kind of way. So it's, it's that impersonal nature of your own past karma of your, or your own habitual responses, your own, your own, uh, factors of personality that you ha actually have due to your own karma but then also the karma that you're making in the present of how you're reacting to this conceit or you're reacting to this ego um and the more the more causes that you're putting in how you're reacting to that will will shape it later will shape how your conceit evolves later and then in the next instance when it's up when it comes when the ego and the conceit comes up then you know, that's again that's caused by everything that you've done but it was also caused by your action back here so again you're reacting to it you're acting on it you're making new karma it's building it again in another way so at any at any one moment uh with these things it is dependent on the karma that you've made but it's also dependent on uh and or will be later dependent on the kind of action and karma that you make on it now Hopefully we answered your question. <laughs> Thank you, Ajahn. Um, the next question is, is the ego just a storyteller? It's, wouldn't say it's just a storyteller, but it can be, yeah. 
Yeah, it's um, we we have we have an interpretation. Our, our ego has an interpretation of how our our life has been. We have this sort of narrative story of, you know, this was this was me when I was born. I was a little baby. I was Kevin. I grew up here, and I did this, and I did this, and this, and this, and this. And you have that narrative story of your life, um, and there is that aspect. There is that is one aspect one aspect of it but then you also have the you know the 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 the, the, the storytelling ego of now of what you're telling yourself about what your situation is as like, oh, if i if i do this my life will go this way or 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 this thing that that happened to me then this is how i interpret it now so there is a there is a storytelling aspect to it but i wouldn't say that that's the f- that's the only part of it it's a you know there's so many other things that are involved in in the in the development of the ego um you can you know just the way you respond to things uh your your different thoughts about these things uh how you're the how you're interacting in the world there's so many things that 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 build up the ego and it's not just the storytelling aspect of it but it is it is definitely it is definitely one aspect of it Thank you, Ajahn. And for the last question, um, if we identify with ourselves as the six senses, mm. the ego self, yet the ego self has no substance, mm. then behind that must be the formless emptiness? Mm. Must be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People that people that have time to sit down and like write their questions out is more thought out. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and that's that's really uh, from my understanding of what the Buddha is talking about when he's talking about like uh, the emptiness of self um, is that that there what you think is from the from the from the six senses this the 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 sight sounds taste touch uh, uh, smell and and the thoughts that are coming in we usually think one of these is me you know this is me that's experiencing this but the the buddha the way the buddha said it is like there's no self to be found in any one of those things so that's how that's how our experience of the world is empty is empty of a self. It's something that we're attaching to and identifying on top of these six senses. So, if you can, if you can notice that, and if you can see that, then you're a bit closer to experiencing experiencing that that emptiness of existence. You're a little bit closer to it, but it's you know it's it's probably it's probably something that comes and goes a lot it's like okay well okay i've i've seen this thing and there's there's no me here that's experiencing this great and then you're just back into it again and you're back and you're wrapped up with the ego you're wrapped up with the um you're wrapped up with the sense of self and so so inherently the six sense bases that we have each one of these, there is no self to be found in it. So there is no self. There is not self there underneath it. But it's something that it's going to, it's going to fluctuate. You're going to get lost between it. You can't just sort of like walk around and go, everything's not self. So I can like, I can run through the wall or something. It's, you, you can't do that. It's, you, you, it's going to hurt. <laughs> so, so it's, um, it's good to be recollecting on these and reflecting on these things, but then, but then also, okay, well, you know, I, if you know my hand's not self, I, I can't just like dip it into a a, a 
a hot pot of water. Like you have to, you still have to move throughout the world. You still have to, you know, interact and 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 actually like you know, look after look after your body, look after the senses, look after all these things. So, but it's just again just identifying with this experience, identifying that it's me here that's doing this. That's that's what you're trying to do. And if you can do that, then you can start to begin to, you know, understand the emptiness of self. Mm. Any questions here or was there somebody furiously typing again online here? <laughs> That's it? Okay, cool. Yeah. What what time, what time do we finish up again? Ten thirty. Okay, so fifteen minutes. And anything? I'll, I'll I'll ramble on if you want. I <laughs> don't know how how enjoyable you're finding my ramblings. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so it's it's this is yeah with the with I'll just go back to the six sense bases. You know, this is something we can practice. This is something we can you know, actually try to try to do because each one of us has has the ability to do this because you are experiencing something in the world. And it's the reason the reason that I like to do it so much is because you know most of my time is spent you know, interacting with the world. Um, uh, there's you know there's only so many hours in the day where you can actually sit down and meditate and you know, sit down and be quiet. Um, but you know a lot of the time is spent you know interacting with the world. So it's a it's a very it's a good practice to actually to be developing. And yeah, if you if you can do this and use the times where you do go back and you do go back to your actual meditation makes it a lot easier when you get there. If you're continually trying to practice throughout the day and you're using these techniques to practice throughout the day, when you do go back to sit down and uh, sit down and actually develop some calm and in the mind, it, it is a little bit easy because you've been strengthening your mindfulness throughout the day. And it's, it's, it's because you're, it's because you're, it is because you're building up that strength there that when you actually, if you're building up that strength throughout the day of trying to be mindful of, of the senses, then when you do sit meditation, your mindfulness is stronger because it's had more of a workout. It's like somebody that, it's like somebody that, uh, like walks, walks all day. This person walks all day, so they're relatively strong in this area, in, uh, they're physically healthy, they're physically well. But if, so when they, when they do have to, the person that walks all day, when they do have to run, it's not as hard for them. But if somebody just like sits on the couch all day and eats chips, if they have to like get up and run, like it's, it's, it's a lot harder for them. So it's like that with your meditation practice as well. If you continually train in it, the more you can train in it when you do, uh, if you, and if you can do this throughout the day, when you do eventually sit down, you're, you're stronger. You're, you've got more of a capacity there to make the mind stiller and make the mind more calmful, make the mind more calm. So, you know, I encourage you to try to do it because I guess something that's pretty popular at the moment is like just you know, mindfulness and we have this most mindfulness is taught in this way of just be open and receptive to everything you know just be, see everything come and go and like that's like, there's nothing wrong with that for sure but there's a there's a lot there that's coming and going 
Uh, you know, our thoughts are molded in with what we're seeing, uh, uh, and, and the sounds that are coming in, everything's like overlapping and integrating and, and it becomes this one amorphous hub of, of our experiences. Like, well, how do I just like let all this go when there's so much going on? And that's why actually, if you just, if you can just pick one, if you can just pick one of these things and develop that skill with one, as I said, for example, hearing use that then it becomes easier to do it with the other ones you can start to okay i'm okay i've got this i get the hearing side of it down that's great okay let's let's think about like the touch okay there's the touch of my you know the touch of my leg against the against the seat you can see that you can see that uh, arise and pass away a little better all the all the things that you see you can see how that changes you can see that it's just that what you're experiencing is just light in a particular kind of waveform coming in contact with your eyes and this is building up this perception of the world and you can see that in more detail and you can do that with all things and actually like a, a really good one to do is it's 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 now for me it's fun but i don't know if it for anybody else it's fun but when you're uh actually sitting meditation one thing you can do is um and watching the breath you can actually be aware of any smells because we're not usually so conscious of smells unless we're in a restaurant or something or it's something dis you know, innately disgusting in front of us kind of thing. So it's actually good to uh, sit there and watch the breath. You just keep your awareness on the breath, but then also notice the smells that are coming. And in any, in any place that you are, in any room that you're in, there, there's so many smells in the environment, but you're usually just not aware of them at all. You think now, you might think, I don't smell anything. It's like, if pay attention to it. If you do pay attention to it, you, it's like, yeah, there's, there's different smells. There's different smells there, but if you're just, your awareness isn't as, as attuned to it. Whereas if you went into a restaurant or something that these overpowering smells, you become more, you become more attuned to it. But any situation that you're in, you can put your attention on the nose and the smells by watching the breath and actually noticing some of the smells. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good one to do as well. So, but it, it comes about through, you know, like training in one of them, just training in one of them just to start with and getting, getting, developing the habit, developing the skill there and then moving on to the other ones. Yeah. Ajahn, yeah. Uh, there's a question yeah, okay. online. Um, as I learn about Buddhism, how can I be resilient to praise and blame with regard to my learning? With regard to the learning or just in general? With regard to my learning. Okay. Um, praise and blame. At least what I'm getting out of that is maybe like somebody that's a student, they're trying to learn something and they potentially potentially you get a good grade or you don't get a good grade and you get praise for a good grade or you don't get praise you get you get uh blamed for a bad grade or something like that is if if that's the way i'm interpreting it uh, you know uh, you know, well it's in terms of your learning it's it's the same as with everything else um, in terms of your learning or in terms of your school or something, it's, it's the same with anything else. It's, you have to, again, just be putting in the right kinds of causes. You know, whatever you're trying to learn, you know, you're putting in the right kinds of causes and the results that you get from that are just whatever results you get. So 
what you do is you focus on what you can control in the situation, and that's how much study and all these kinds of things that you do. Um, but the results you get, you don't know what kind of results you're actually going to get from that. And again, what I was talking about before is if you if you get somebody that praises you or get somebody that blames you for either the schoolwork or even just anything else or in their job or in something that you... Um, uh, you're looking at and you're trying to understand and people praise you or blame you. Oh, yeah, you're great, you understand this. Or no, you're stupid, you don't understand this. Again, just see this as something that arises and passes away in the world. Praise, anybody that praises you, it's just sound that's coming in contact with the ears. It's something that arises and passes away. Any blame, anybody that says that you know, that's a bad grade, you're terrible, you know, that, that's, just, that's just something that arises and passes away. If you can see this more as just just for what it is, it's just it's just phenomena that you're coming in contact with. It's just something that's always changing, that's always coming and going, and you don't attach to it as much. So if somebody says to you, it's like, oh, you're, you know, like Ajahn Sadaro, you gave a great talk today. I'm like, oh, that's that's great. But if somebody says Ajahn Sadaro, that was a terrible talk. Yeah, fine. Yeah, it's just words. <laughs> it's so if you can if you can actually. If you can be equanimous in this way of whatever you're coming in contact with, if somebody says you're great, ah, it's not sure. If somebody says you're terrible, ah, it's not sure. It's, it's easy to say you're not sure when somebody says you're terrible, but it's, <laughs> but it's so if you can, you have that kind of mindset of, you know, whatever happens, it's not sure. Uh, whatever I'm coming in contact with, this is just impermanent. This is something that comes and goes. Um, but the more the more you try to say, well, well, the, what this person said, oh, it's right, no, I am bad, it's blah 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 blah. You're going to have more suffering. Or the more you listen to somebody that says, wow, you're a genius, you're so smart, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm smart, I know all this stuff, I'm a legend. It's yeah, you you're gonna you're gonna have a different kind of suffering and a different kind of delusion because of that. So it's seeing seeing both these things that ha have they actually have equal worth. Praise is just the same as blame. It's like two sides of the one coin. All it is is sound that's coming in. All it is is you know a mark on a paper. And so the way that you're reacting to it that's the most important thing. So you just try to just try to whatever comes in contact, it's good, it's bad. Yeah, just let it go. So I have a question. Thank you, Ajahn, for yeah. your words of wisdom. So um, I do have a question, hmm. and that's can what it would be the difference of letting go and not caring? And I, oh, yeah. I, I to just to give a little bit of context. So yep. I've I've just closed my business after mm. about four to five years, mm -mm -mm. and I'm not feeling any strong emotions, mm. even though I put in quite a lot of effort during mm. this period of time. So mm. how do I know in my mind? whether or not it's really letting go or it's yeah, just not caring, just pushing it aside. You mm -hmm. know? Well, the, when you really, when you just push something aside, there's a negative, if you, if you notice how you react to it, if you're just pushing something, there's a negative reaction to that. You, you don't feel, you still feel there's a kind of negativity there. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't care, I don't care. There's that kind of negativity. There's that kind of reactive um, uh, uh, mind state that you actually do have there. And what you're doing at that point is you're trying to push something down. 
You're trying to push something down and ignore it in a way. Or you're trying to like justify yourself and, and push this thing away. So there's a, there's a negative feeling, a negative reaction there. If you, but if you let something go, there's a positive feeling there. You feel, you feel light. You feel spacious. You feel free. So that's really the, the needle between those two things. If you letting something go, it should, it should bring about these kinds of, these kinds of free and joyous and spacious and, and happy mind states. But if you're pushing something away, it's going to bring about negative, negative mind states. So you have to be really honest with yourself. A lot of the times you push something away. It's like, oh, I don't care about what this person said. Oh, I don't care about this. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm doing great. I'm happy. It's, you have to be honest with yourself as well and, and really see, well, you know, am I really happy pushing this thing away? And if you, if you are honest with yourself and it's like, actually, no, there's some sort of resistance there. I'm trying to push this thing away. If you accept that, then you can actually deal with it. Then you can actually, okay, I'm pushing this thing away, but somehow at some deeper level, I'm feeling really bad. So accept that and deal with it. And then you actually learn to deal with it. And then you will, if you learn to deal with it, then actually you'll be able to let go. And then you'll actually be able to see, okay, I'll just let this thing go now. I feel free. I feel happy. And it's not this kind of talking yourself into it and pushing it away. So it's something you have to be very honest with yourself and just understand exactly how you're feeling towards a, the situation. If it's negative, you're pushing it away. If it's positive, you are, you have actually let it go. Yeah. So with that, it's pretty much 10.30 now, so might might close out. Usually, Arahan? Yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, uh, close out by uh, paying respects to the triple gem um, and just will you make it announcements as well or yeah 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 and again thank thank you all for coming this morning it's really great to see so many of you thanks to everybody that's come to listen to the Dhamma thanks to everybody that's helped out uh, um, and yeah so hopefully I'll see you all again soon so we'll pay respects to the triple gem